great to see you back tonight as we uh, work toward Christmas, but I want to pick up this evening for a little while in our Bible study. We have uh, quite a few things to pack in tonight. We're going to do a Bible study. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, you'll have a chance if you didn't grab one of those little packs come in a few minutes ago. We'll give you a chance to do that, and then we're going to have a business meeting to round out tonight, so it should be lots of fun, right? We'll take care of everything. We'll take your Bibles and go to Psalm 128. I want to spend just a few minutes tonight and talk about being happy. Everybody want to be happy? Yeah, I think everybody wants to be happy. In fact, uh, one of the chief pursuits, I believe, of most people is to be happy in life, to be uh, fulfilled, to be content. The Bible speaks about happiness. The Bible speaks about being content. Uh, in fact, our forefathers, the ones who founded this nation, thought that being happy was pretty important as well. Uh, in the Declaration of Independence, I'll just remind you of the statement in there. It says, we behold these truths uh, to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, they go on to say that governments are established to provide an environment for people to be able to pursue those God-given rights and uh, went on to say we're going to break away from England. Uh, whether that was biblical or not, we'll have another discussion about that later. But the fact is, um, people like to be happy. Now, when you define happiness, it's interesting because happiness is simply defined as a state of being happy. Well, that doesn't help you a whole lot. Okay, so what, is, what, what defines a state of being happy? Well, most definitions, if you, if you look up being happy or happiness, two things come to the top all the time. And one of them is uh, pleasures, and the other one is contentment. In other words, uh, enjoying life, pleasures, if you will, enjoying life, and being content where one is at in life. Now, the problem is there's true happiness and there's false happiness. There's true happiness that's found in Jesus Christ. And then there's happiness that the world will sell you, lock, stock, and barrel, if you buy into it. Let me give you some, some ideas. As a matter of fact, let's talk about four of them very quickly. There are, there are four areas where the world will say to us, hey, be involved in these things and you'll be happy. You'll enjoy the pleasure of life and you'll be content. Uh, one, of them, one of those categories we might identify as Epicureanism. Epicurus was a Greek philosopher in 307 B.C., about 300, year, 300 years before Jesus was born. And he came to the conclusion, and I spoke, I spoke a little bit about philosophers this morning, but here's, a, here's one, here's an example. Uh, Epicurus came to the conclusion as a philosopher that, you know, how to be really happy in life is to have no boundaries, meaning, meaning pleasures and contentment is found in doing whatever you want to do. If there's, a, if there's a fleshly desire, if there's something that you want in the world, help yourself. Don't, don't worry about God or any other God or anything. You just, you just indulge yourself. And what he basically um, proposed is that if we just do whatever we want to do, the old uh, saying from the 60s and 70s, if it feels good, do it. If you just uh, embrace that philosophy, you'll be happy. In other words, just... Just have no boundaries. Now, let me just make an observation from an older guy uh, that has watched life go by a little bit. It typically doesn't work out well for people who live that way. 
People who embrace that lifestyle usually have a problem somewhere along the line. In other words, here's what we discover the world's selling us a bill of goods, and so was Epicurus, by the way. If we indulge those things that the flesh wants, we know as Christians there's a problem with that because our flesh is sinful and our flesh is fallen. And the things that, w- that our flesh would lead us to do or that we would think happiness and contentment would be in life are contrary to what God says. And if we go down that road doing what God says not to do and living a life that God said don't live, nothing good ever comes out of that. Now, I can tell you how I know society today has subscribed to that philosophy. There is the proliferation today of, of immorality on a scale we've not ever seen in this country before. There's a proliferation of the use of alcoholic beverages and, and mood-enhancing and altering drugs and recreational drugs. There is a proliferation in this nation of people pursuing Epicureanism, which leads to hedonism, which leads to sin. So listen, what I would suggest to you is the world would say with Epicurus, man, embrace whatever you want and enjoy yourself and you'll be happy. The problem with that is happiness of the flesh and happiness of this world is short-lived, is it not? And listen to me very carefully for those who are younger. There's always a cost. There's always a price. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, meaning if we look for happiness in the world, it's going to end up costing us more than we want to pay, taking us further than we want to go. It has a price. Secondly, the world will say to you, look, okay, so let's say you're not into Epicurus's philosophy and you don't want to give into that. There's another one the world will say. The world will say, look, there's happiness in things. There's happiness in worldly things, materialism, money. There's happiness in, um, in uh, having what you want uh, materially. I, I have known people that when they have the financial resources to have what they want, they seem happy. In other words, when you're around them, they're in a good mood. But when things don't go financially the way they think they ought to go, maybe the market's down and maybe they can't afford the lifestyle that they want, suddenly they're in an ill mood most of the time and there's just something wrong with them. The problem is this, their happiness, their contentment's connected to stuff. It's connected to things. And that's what the world wants you to do. It says, hey, buy into this. Again, it's short-lived. Let's just say for the sake of argument that God allowed you to be the wealthiest person in the world. Initially, you go right on. I, I could dig that. But what good is that really going to do you? I mean, what's it going to do you? You're still going to die, and you still ain't taking any of it with you, right? You've heard the story about the, the lady who married a really rich guy, and he, and he wrote in his will that when he died, she had to put all of his worldly possessions in the casket with him. And it was in his will. So when he died, she wrote a check and put it in there with him. You're never cashing it. Listen, you're not taking that stuff with you, right? So the world will lie to you and say, look, there's happiness in having things. No, thing, things fade. The carrot fades, and, and it's not happiness. Thirdly, hey, here's another area. Power and fame. Isn't it interesting in our society today that people want a name? Man, they want to be known. They want to be, they want to be, uh, they want to be somebody. Jesus will make you somebody if you're saved. You'll be somebody to him. But the world will say, hey, you need the fame. You need the richness. Hey, people, you need the corner office with the view. You, you want your name on the wall. You need the partnership. You need the recognition, the accolades. You need the reputation. I'm reminded of movie stars that were really famous when I was younger. Do you know what's happened to them? 
You take a guess? They look like me now. They don't look all Hollywood and they don't, you know, all of their fame is gone. If I were to ask the younger generation who they are, nobody would know. Why? Because that stuff's short-lived. All of that pleasure and contentment's gone. And finally, hey, here's one that, that affects Christians sometimes. Sometimes people's happiness and contentment in life is connected to what they think is just and fair. From this perspective, if I see somebody who's just openly wicked and they're prospering, I'm just going to confess to you right now, that bothers me. Because there are godly men and women who struggle every day in life, and man, they love Jesus. And when I look at that, I'm just going to tell you, it don't look fair. How about you? In other words, God, what is going on with that? That, that, that person is given over to the first one, the, the, the Epicurious lifestyle and the hedonism, and they're living for the here and now, and man, they're making it. And they got it all. And then you got this, this single parent or this widow or this orphan or this person who loves Jesus. And, man, they're struggling every day. But we know as Christians, don't we, that Jesus is just and he's going to set the scale straight one day. He's going to set it right. So we find our, our comfort in Christ. Listen, I said all these things to say this. All the things that the world will offer us to be happy are short-lived. They're temporary. Listen, all the, all the physical pleasures in the world are going to wear off at some point, okay? They're not, they're not going to always have the excitement to them. All the money in the world can never be satisfied. A person's desire for money, a thirst for power can never be satiated. In other words, a person will never be satisfied. Isn't it interesting that a person never has enough money? They never have enough fame. They never have enough prosperity. You ask a millionaire, do you have enough? He goes, no, now i got to make two. They never have enough. There's no satisfaction. But let me tell you, beginning of verse 1 in Psalm 128, God said the truly happy person is described in this verse. Look at it. Blessed is everyone. We could say blessed is any man or woman who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. That is a biblical description of how to be content and happy in this life. That's it right there. Fearing God and doing what he says. Fearing God and surrendering to his law. Now think about what it says here. Genuine pleasure is not in the things of the world. It's in the goodness of God. Genuine pleasure is enjoying what God blesses me with in my life, no matter what it is, whether it be much or little. It is being happy in Jesus Christ, being content. Genuine contentment is priceless, priceless. There are people who can't sleep because they are discontent about everything. There are people who can't have relationships and rest and they're disgruntled all the time because they don't have the things in life or life's not going the way they want. Let me tell you something. When you put your hands up in there and you say, Lord, you bought me, you own everything about me, and I am happy wherever you have me. Man, that'll set you free. That'll, that'll really make you feel better because then you're not stressing out about everything under the sun because you just give it to Jesus. He who fears the Lord and obeys. Notice the two parts of this. Those who fear the Lord, now we've talked about this before. Fearing God in the Old Testament is the same as trust or faith in the New Testament. It's, it's equivalent, okay? Trusting God, putting your faith in him. Fear means a reverence of God. 
It means, it means respecting him and honoring him. A person who is saved honors God. A person who's saved respects him. A person who's saved glorifies God in their life. That's the source of life, the source of, of happiness in Jesus Christ. Notice the direct connection. Those who fear God give evidence of that by the walking in his ways. One writer said this, the fear of the Lord and keeping of his law are inseparable. The two go together. If you fear God and you respect him and you honor him, then you want to do what he says. Now we know, let's just make sure we understand, none of us are perfect, right? If you think you're perfect, you just messed up because you're not. We're not perfect. We live in a, we live in a sinful human body that the Holy Spirit is in us and has to give us victory over the sin every day and as we rely on him. But listen, I've said this a hundred times if I've said it once. There's, it's not perfection in the Christian life. It is, it is the, the process of sanctification. It is the process of being dominantly obedient to God and that the, and that the disobedience is the exception to the rule. Does that make sense to everybody? Meaning the normal habit of my life is I want to do what God told me to do. Now, tomorrow morning is a new day. And, and, and today's commitment to God is going to have to be renewed tomorrow in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I may get up tomorrow and, you know, kick the cat or, you know, I won't do that. Don't, that'll get you arrested today. But you understand what I'm saying. I may get up tomorrow and have a bad morning. Pray that I don't. But do you all, are you always at your best every day when you get up? I'll ask your husband or your wife. They'll probably say no. Listen, the point is, the habit of our life is if we fear God and we're content in the Lord and we're, and we're content to, to obey him, then that's going to be the habit of our life. It's not going to be the exception. Let me tell you what that means. Listen very carefully here. There are a lot of people today, and I fear it's, it's growing, and it is a lot of people who pretend to be Christians, who take the title, who, who, who like the, you know, the association, but they're not really saved. And I'm going to tell you something. A person who's not really saved can only fake it for so long. They can only, they can only like, act like they're a Christian for so long. You know why? Because it ain't real. It's not real. They don't have any real fear for the Lord. And their obedience, their, their walking with God is going to fail at some point because they're doing it in the flesh. And to them, it's just a religious exercise. People who are genuinely saved walk in obedience in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we're successful in it. Those who are not saved will never be able to do that. Now, let me make another really important application here. Here's, here is the major difference about happiness between a Christian and a non-Christian, between a saved person and a non-saved person. For the lost man or woman who might find their contentment and their happiness in all those things we were listening at the beginning, their happiness will go like this, right? If I, if I have the stuff that I think makes me happy, then I'm up here. If all of a sudden I lose the house and I lose my job and, 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 you know, my girlfriend left me and all that stuff, well, now my happiness is down here. And then all of a sudden, you know, the stock market goes up and, and my ship came in and now my happiness is back up here. Their happiness is, is directly, listen, directly dependent to things in life. They go to the doctor and the doctor says, get your affairs in order because you got cancer. Their happiness just, you know, went down here like this. Here's the difference. For a child of God, our happiness is not connected to any of that stuff. Now, we're human, and, and if you suffer loss, you're going to be sad. But listen to me. 
my trust in God and my happiness in Jesus Christ is not connected to anything in this world. Nothing, not a thing. I mean, God forbid, but, you know, my house could burn down tomorrow, the truck could blow up, car flat tire, and the cat die. I say a lot about the cat because I didn't get the cat in the first place, but... Uh, you know, it li lists a list of bad things, and it'll drive you to your knees. You'll get on your knees before God, and you'll say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. You know, the world just, the sky just fell. I don't, I don't know what happened. Maybe it'd be like Job. You know, you go, God, I don't get it. But I'm going to tell you this, it won't shake your faith in Jesus. Why? Because your trust and your joy is in him. That's the big difference. The world, the world has no clue what real happiness is, is about has no clue about what real joy is about. But it's in Jesus, and it's in knowing that he's got everything under control. Now, this kind of joy, Paul said this, by the way, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Man, that's what we need. That's what we need as Christians, godliness and contentment. Now, this happiness extends into life. It, uh, it, it extends into everything about our lives. Uh, it extends into not just this life, but our next life as well. Think about this. As I walk through this life and I'm, and I'm trusting Jesus and my happiness is in him, my contentment is in him, we can even be further encouraged to know that not only is my contentment in Jesus good for this life, but it's going to be good forever, okay? Um, Jesus said this in John chapter 14, 1. He said, he said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And then he said, I'm, I'm going to go prepare you a place. He said, I'm going to prepare it, a mansion. And he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. And verse 3 said, and I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you, that where I am there you may be also. Listen, the happiness that we enjoy in Jesus Christ right now is just a sample it's just a foretaste of what we're going to get in full when we get to heaven. In other words, the human mind cannot even comprehend the greatness of what it means to be saved. We can't even comprehend it. The joy and the happiness that we enjoy now is going to be amplified beyond measure in heaven and for all of eternity. I guess I could put it this way. It's good to be saved, and it's good to walk with Jesus. But it's going to get so much better, you have no idea. And we have no idea. The old Huey Lewis song, the future's so bright, we've got to wear shades. You say, Pastor, you're not supposed to know that song. I know a lot of songs I'm probably not supposed to know. We did a thing at our Christmas dinner the other night, and it said, write down your favorite band of all time. People are writing down Third Day and all this religious stuff. I wrote down Little River Band. Who knows who they are? Yeah. Okay, that's enough of that. Little River Band. Listen, here's the point. If you, if you think being saved is good today, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. God has so much in store for us that we can't comprehend. And, and I believe this. And this, my mom and daddy are in heaven already, and, and a lot of my family have already gone before me. I just got to thank my mom and dad are in heaven going, man, just wait till he gets here. He ain't got no idea. Just wait till they get here. And what a, what a beautiful thing 
It is. To know that your, your loved ones are there, enjoying that. And, and listen, as moms and dads and grandparents, to pass your faith down to your kids so you know that when you go before them, it's just a matter of waiting for them to get there. Wait for them to get there to spend eternity with you. Man, being happy in Jesus is the only way to be happy. You'd be happy in the world, but that ain't happiness. That's just a temporary thing. Be happy in Jesus. Now, it not only extends to eternal life, but look at verse 2. It extends to all other areas of life. Now, I like this verse, verse 2. God said, now, when you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Now, he's talking about happiness. Those who fear the Lord and walk with him are blessed. They're happy. And then he says, now, when you eat the labor of your hands, you'll be happy, and it'll be well with you. What does that mean? It means an honest living. It means that we'll be content and an honest living for ourselves. Now, you say, well, God promised that he's going to provide all my needs. He's going to supply my needs, my food, and my clothes. Yes, he promised that. You know how he does it 99.9% of the time? Because you went to work today. I mean, he don't just like, I mean, if he had to, now he did it for Israel, didn't he? They were out in the middle of the desert, and they needed food, and God just opened the windows of heaven, and manna rained down, and quail come flying by, and he just snatched it, you know, however they, God can do that. Prophet hiding in the cave, and God sends the ravens, and bring it, God can do that. But 99.9% of the time, you know how God provides your food, and the housing, and your clothing? Because you went to work today. That's exactly what that verse means. At the labor of your hands, you'll be blessed. And at the labor of your hands, you'll sit down at a table thinking, man, I have, I have earned a living and God's blessed me with the health to do it and the mentality and the capacity and I sit here around this table with my family and enjoy this meal and I'm happy. You remember when God put Adam and Eve in the garden? Now, did God set up the Garden of Eden? Now, this is before they sinned and fell. Did God give Adam a lounge chair and tell him to sit there and eat peeled grapes all day? Mm -mm. That's probably a picture of, of paradise. We have. You know, Adam, Adam in this garden of Eden, and he's got peeled grapes falling off the tree, and you know, and he's no. What did God tell Adam to do? Adam, this garden is yours. Take care of it. That meant he had to work. That meant he's laboring. Now, listen. Before he sinned, work wasn't like work we know today. It wasn't. It wasn't laborious. It wasn't hard. In other words, it was part of what God created him to do to honor God. And so he's laboring. Now, Adam messed it up when he sinned because remember what God said to him? Oh, Adam, oh, and by the way, not only am I going to kick you out of the garden, but now you're going to have to grow your food. You're going to have to sweat of your brow. You're going to have to work. And the ground's going to resist you and labor's going to be hard. And at the end of the day, you're going to be tired. But there's still a blessing in that, isn't there? There's still a blessing in having labored, which God created us to do, and earning a living. And God said, you'll be blessed when you sit down to eat the meal. When you sit down, you'll be blessed and you'll be happy. Listen, Psalm 127 verse 1 said, if a man builds a house without God, unless God builds a house, he works in vain. Likewise, if we work and labor with God, then all things are possible. And God blesses us through our labor. Listen, there are two applications we can make to this. And I don't want to get political, but this is biblical, so you need to listen. The Bible teaches us that we should work. Everybody understand that. One writer said, we may stretch out our hand to God for a blessing, but let us do so as we put our hand to the plow. That's the answer. God bless me, now get on the plow. God bless me, now go to work. The Bible is very clear that we're to work. 
The Bible's very clear that we are responsible to labor if we're able to labor. Now, the Bible's also very clear. If you read how God set up the nation of Israel and their government, part of their taxes were to take care of widows and orphans who couldn't take care of themselves, to take care of people who were crippled and blind and couldn't feed themselves. Uh, all the landowners were to leave the crops for them, to be able to go in and do the corners of the fields. And they only, they only went through the crop once. They didn't re-glean it. They let the poor come in and listen. Even the poor who got the free food had to go pick it up and had to collect it and prepare it. So there's, there is biblical precedent for grace and for mercy for those. And Jesus himself said, the poor you will always have with you. There will always be people who will need help, and we have a biblical obligation to help them. But, comma, I fear in our day, just my observation, that there are a lot of people who have their hands sticking out for free giveaways who need to put their hands on the plow, who need to get to work. Now, if someone needs help, listen, if you hadn't been here long in this church, let me say this right. We have a benevolence process here, and we give away money to people that need it. We buy people groceries. We buy food. We pay light bills. We fix people's cars. And, and, that, and listen, that ain't counting... That isn't even counting all the people in the church who find out somebody has a need and they just do it anonymously. They just give money and they go, go do whatever they got to do, mow the grass, fix the car, take somebody somewhere. That is the biblical godly thing to do. But let me tell you what, the Bible says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Paul told the church in Thessalonica, for even when we were there with you, we commended you. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. There are cases where we need a little bit more of that a little bit less giving away stuff. People ought to work. Now, here's what this says. If we labor in the thing God's enabled us to do, and we labor, God will bless us. Now, be careful. Some people will say, well, God, I'm laboring. Bless me more. No. The happiness and contentment is Jesus is to be happy with what he enabled us to be able to do. You see, if we could all run... At 440, we might all be playing football making $10 million a year. But if I ran a 440 without having a heart attack, I'd be lucky. So I'm not going to get $10 million a year. But I can do what God enabled me to do, and you can do what God enabled you to do and be happy with where God has you in life. Now, secondly, let me say this. You say, Pastor, well, what kind of social government do we find in the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked, and I'm going to tell you. The Bible teaches the principle of personal labor and personal property, meaning you go to work, whatever it is you do, you earn your income, honestly, with whatever it is you do, and you buy your stuff. And it's your stuff. The Bible's replete with that. You don't steal. You don't take what belongs to somebody else. If you earned your money and you bought your stuff, then God said, I gave it to you, that's yours. Now, we got to be careful here. When the church began, they did some socialist kind of stuff because the church was under serious persecution and people were starving to this. So people would sell their property and bring it to the church and say, hey, here's some money to the apostles, give it to the people who need it. That's benevolence. There's no precedence in the Bible that we all sell everything we own and live in a Baptist commune, okay? There's no, there's no 
principle for that, where we all just share everything together. Okay? That's not biblical. And for those in society today who, who, who want to expand an idea of, of a socialist kind of setting, that's dangerous. That's very dangerous. Now, let me be very clear. The Bible said if we live in a government, we should pay our taxes. And taxes are profitable for us. I mean, the taxes pay for the roads and pay for our military and pay for all the things that we share in common. Uh, you know, we got potable water piped into your house and, and, and you got firemen and police officers and you have all the stuff that you need. So taxes are good for us. We should pay for those things that we share together. But the idea of complete socialism, where there's providers and, and takers and handout, here's what always happens. Now listen, I'm a historian. I'm a buff. and I'm not a historian. I'm, I'm kind of a history buff. Let me tell you something I've discovered as I study history. Socialism has never worked, ever. I mean, in other words, it has zero, a zero success rate. Because here's what happens. You ready? The takers at some point outnumber the providers. And when the, and when the takers outnumber the providers, guess what you got? A problem, okay? Because now there's not enough people working and providing for all the people who are taken for nothing. What I'm telling you here is God said, when you labor, the word of God says, when you labor and you sit down at your table, you'll be happy, you'll be blessed, you'll be content. The problem in this country today and I'm going to cover one more point. We'll close. The problem in this country today is greed. Nobody's happy with what they have. Everybody wants something more. Everybody thinks they deserve more, and I mean across the board. Everybody thinks I deserve more, I ought to have more. Everybody thinks because that person's got it, I ought to have it. No. No, not at all. You don't know what that person did to get where they are. You don't know how they got where they are. That's between them and God. That's none of your business. It's none of my business. The only person we ought to be concerned with is what God does with us. And the point is, be happy where God has us. Be happy with what we have, okay? Finally, this happiness extends to our families. Look at verses 3 and 4 very quickly. I like this too. This is a good, this is good. Look, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Let me just hit three things real quick. God said, look, if, if you are happy and content in me, if you're saved and you're happy with where you are and you're content where you are, God said, your marriage and your home, God said, I'll bless that thing and your wife will be like a fruitful vine. Now, that doesn't just mean having children. It means she'll be profitable to you. And what he's saying there in an Old Testament vernacular is God said, man, I'll make your marriage strong. I'll make your marriage what it ought to be. Your wife will be a blessing to you, and you'll be a blessing to her. God said, if you're content in me and you trust me, and you're saved and you're my child, and you're happy with where you are and you're happy in me, God said, I'll bless your family. I'll bless your home. And there is nothing, listen, there's nothing like God having provided for us through our labor to sit around a table with all your children there and all your grandchildren there and put food on the table and have fellowship with them while you break bread. There's nothing like that. That's good stuff. Man, we enjoy it among us as church members sitting down and eating, and it's even better with your family. Listen, happiness in Jesus Christ is the center of that. 
This is not a message about marriage, but listen very carefully. If the husband's relationship with God is what it ought to be, and the wife's relationship with God is what it ought to be, this relationship would be a piece of cake. Listen to me, be a piece of cake. Why? Because this relationship's right. If this relationship between me and God or my wife and God is not right, then this one is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, see, because God's not the center of it. God said, I'll bless your family. Hey, how about your children? Your children will sit around a table like olive plants. I'm not sure I'd call them olive plants, but okay, olive plants. They sit around a table like olive plants. Olive plants, by the way, were very valuable. Olive oil and olive. Listen, God said they'll be profitable. They'll be profitable to you. They'll bless you. They'll sit around a table with you. I said this a few weeks ago. What a blessing it is when your kids get grown and they can be your friends. What a blessing it is when they get grown and you can sit around a table with them and fellowship with them. And they show a respect to you as their dad or their mom. And they love you and they know they love, that they love you and you love them back. And you have that really sweet relationship. God said, that's what I'll do in your home if I'm the sinner. That's what I'll do if your happiness is found in me. Listen, if your happiness is found in the world, you're not going to have that kind of stuff in your home because it'll mess it all up. And then finally, your grandchildren. I don't have any yet, by the way, but my daughter's married and maybe one day. Grandchildren, you're blessed to see your generations again. What, what a blessing from God that he would bless your home that way, that you'd be able to sit around with him. Listen, in conclusion tonight, everybody wants to be happy, right? Everybody wants to be content. We want to feel happy all the time. Do it in Jesus. Do it in Jesus. Everything else will fall in place. Just be happy in Jesus. Now, if you're here tonight or you're watching online, we, we record these and put them online. Maybe you're watching tonight. Maybe you're watching it some other time. You say, man, my life's hard. There's not a lot of happiness in my life, not a lot of joy, not a lot of contentment. Jesus is where you need to go. Jesus is the one who can give you heart peace. He's the one who can give you peace and contentment in your life. Trust Jesus. If you've never been saved, now's the time, today, right now. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right now, confess your sin, ask him to save you, now's the time. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in Jesus Christ we can have joy and happiness that the world can't understand. God, we go through difficult times. Lord, days can be hard. We get in the valley and it's difficult, but God, you said we never walk in the valley by ourselves. Never. You're always there with us. And God, really, if we're honest, because of your love for us, we, we spend more time on the mountaintop than we do in the valley. And we thank you for that. God, bless your people tonight. Lord, help us to reevaluate where we are in life and what it is we think is important in life, God. And help us to find our happiness and our contentment where you've put us and where you have us and let us trust you. God, if there's somebody here tonight who is without Christ, may they pray right now. Or may they look to you and say, Lord, I need to be saved. Save me right now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A stand as we sing. I'll be glad to pray with you if I can help you this evening. You come on the first verse. The cross upon